Good to see you guys today as we start into the new year. It's always exciting to get together on a Sunday and see what God has for us. We've been going through a series called Verses for Life. So if you haven't been with us, each week we pick some verse or a couple verses that are like, this is a message, this verse could be something that you could think about the rest of your life and it would help you every week as you go through it. But in particular, I suggest that you memorize the verse that we go over on Sunday and then meditate on it and consider it throughout the next week and then see what, you know, see what God does in your life from that scripture. You may find that one of the scriptures that we go through is like, that's a verse that I need to keep in the forefront of my mind for the rest of my life. That becomes your life verse, if you will, or at least for a while. So I've really enjoyed going through these. Um, This morning we're going to be in Psalm 37. Now, Psalm 37 is a great psalm. The entire psalm is. um, And in particular, verses 3 through 7, I had it as, this is a key passage of the Bible. But verses 3 through 7 is quite a big chunk to bite off. It it talks about you need to trust in the Lord, delight in the Lord, commit your way to the Lord, and then rest in the Lord. And so, wow, that's a mouthful for sure. So I started thinking, okay, how can I narrow it? Now I may come back to some of the other verses on different Sundays, I don't know. but, But I thought... When you talk about trusting in the Lord, we talk about that quite a bit. Then when you talk about, you know, um, committing your ways to the Lord, we talk about that quite a bit. When you talk about resting in the Lord, we certainly talk about that. But delighting in the Lord is one that we don't think about that much. We don't talk about it. For many of us, we don't even know what it means to delight in the Lord. Delight isn't a word we use all the time. You might say, oh, I'm delighted. You may say it sarcastically, or for you, delight might just mean, you know, fake orange juice, the sunny delight. But it's not a word that we use. In the Hebrew, though, the word, well, in what the verse said, we're looking at verse 4 of, of uh, Psalm 37. It, it says, delight yourself also in the Lord, in Yahweh. And he shall give you the desires of your heart. Pretty wild promise, right? Contingent on whether or not we truly delight ourselves in the Lord. So it'd be a good idea to know what that means. Now that word, in the Hebrew, the word for delight is anag. And it's a word that the roots come from softness, gentleness, luxury, extravagance. Those are, in fact, most of the time this word is used to describe rich women, like that they are living the life of luxury. So it's kind of an over-the-top, indulging kind of perspective on life. So it's really unusual to think of that in terms of something we are supposed to do And yet, you can find a lot of things throughout Scripture that remind us that this is important. It's shocking to find out that God, if if I was going to come up with the best word that I could 
translate for this word delight, you know, yourself in the Lord, I would say luxuriate is really what it means. Immerse yourself in the luxury of life in the Lord. Now, that's something that you don't hear taught on a lot. And a part of it is because our culture has developed to the point where we apologize for luxury. We apologize for if, if I have something and somebody else doesn't, I should just give all my stuff to them. And, you know, Jesus didn't have that perspective. I mean, he, he said things. He, he reached out and helped the poor, but then when they wanted to help the poor more, he goes, look, you're always going to have the poor. Now, you might go, well, this isn't going to apply to me because I don't have a lot of luxury in my life. I'm not really wealthy. Everyone in here is richer than 95 to 98% of the people in the world. The truth is, we are all spoiled rotten with what we have. So what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to feel guilty about what you have? Are you just supposed to get rid of everything? Are you supposed to be miserable and feel horrible because some people don't have what you have? Well, that's what's shocking here, is that God is saying, I, I allow you to luxuriate. In fact, it's something that I am encouraging in you. If you have a lot, a part of that is to enjoy it, is to immerse yourself in it. I want you to be that way. Now, if your idea of God is somebody who's a minimalist, um, if your idea of God is somebody who's just like, you just need to live the simplest, most stripped-down life that you possibly can, you're going to be really surprised when you get to heaven. And it's like, luxury everywhere, gold and diamonds, jewelry and all. It's, but really, think about the world that God created. What a luxurious universe this is. What luxurious details are in all of creation. And so it, it's, it's unusual for us to think this way. But the truth is, if he has been good to us, doesn't it make sense that he wants us to enjoy it? That some of what he, you know, the, the, the catechism says, the purpose of man is to love God and enjoy him forever. And yet I think we filter all of that out and go, well, no, I really feel bad if I have more than I need. We all have more than we need. The question is, what do you do with that? And how do you stay connected to that? So what does it mean to luxuriate in the Lord. Well, I mean, in simple terms, I would suggest to you that, first of all, you see that you are in luxury. You recognize that you have more than you need. It kind of starts there. But also, you appreciate what you have. And you're willing to actually use it, and then you're willing to share it as well. Because out of having more than you need opens up the opportunity for you to bless somebody else with what you have, and it ends up becoming one of the more rewarding things that you can do to be able to share. But the luxury isn't about the sharing. The sharing is one of the reasons why it's nice to have some luxury. So when it comes down to a life of luxury, if God is calling us to that, and I think he specifically is in this text, um, how do you, what does that look like? You know, one of the first things I think that we need to appreciate is that luxuriating in the Lord 
means that you should be thankful, means that you should appreciate what you have. I don't look at what I have, and because you have more, I'm bummed. I, look, I don't look at what I have, and even though it's more than I need, or I wouldn't be here, I wouldn't be alive, I wouldn't, you know, certainly couldn't live here in Southern California and everything, so I have it, but because there are people who have more than me, I'm miserable. No, everything, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus toward you. So luxuriating starts with being grateful. It, it can't be if you're griping about what you have, you're not luxuriating. You're acting like you are impoverished because you don't have something that you want. So I think luxuriating, delighting, starts with a heart of thanksgiving. But as you continue, it's also, it comes down to joy. It's also, if you, if you are truly appreciating what God has given you, is it giving you joy? Now, uh, Marie Kondo, the, she's kind of a minimalist, but she talks about you should only keep things in your house that give you joy. And that might be, you know, there might be some validity there, but certainly if God has, has blessed us, then we certainly should be able to enjoy what he has given us. We are, we are to, you know, have, a, have an attitude of not only do I know what I have, but I'm really enjoying it. Now, and, and most of eternity is going to be certainly filled with joy. It's not going to be, okay, let's just try to survive. It's, God never calls his people to that, nor does he ever promise that. He wants us to experience joy. And our joy can be connected with the fact that we are really, and I know Christians don't like the word lucky, so we'll say blessed. It means lucky um, in the original. But it's like, can I actually enjoy it? We shouldn't feel guilty if we enjoy something. It's a part of life that makes life powerful. Now, it's also, if you don't have joy, that says something as well. It sends a message out to others. If you're miserable, how do you, how do you draw other people to what you believe in if what you believe has made you miserable? Back when the children of Israel had been in captivity in Babylon, and then you know uh, the de- declaration went out so that Ezra and Nehemiah, and the, that they brought some of the children of Israel back down to Israel, and they were rebuilding the city walls and rebuilding the temple. While they were digging around in the wreckage of the temple, Solomon's temple, they found a law. And so they began to read the law, and people are like, Man, we're breaking rules. We didn't even know we're here. And the people just started mourning. Oh, this is terrible. And and Nehemiah stood up and he goes, shut up. He goes, don't you understand? Today is holy to the Lord. Don't mourn and weep. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That has been true ever since. Does it mean that I am joyous every second of my life? No. But it means if I'm going to get anything accomplished, it's going to be through the joy that I'm able to express because of the blessings that he's given in my life. No one will ever come up to you and say, 
what's the key to you being so miserable? <laughs> and when people see that you have joy, they're like, wow, that's something deep inside me tells me that that should be a major objective as to why we're here and what life is about. And so that joy that is the strength that Nehemiah talks about is something that ultimately becomes a part of luxuriating. A lot of times we're just afraid to just do something just because it's fun. And I remember years ago I heard a pastor was talking about, he said he was talking to his little son about heaven. And he, he said, his son's like, Dad, what are we going to do in heaven? And he goes, well... We're just going to worship God forever. And his son was like seven. He goes, that's it? <laughs> and he goes, yes, worshiping God forever. And he goes, can we take a break every once in a while and just goof around? <laughs> Personally, I think heaven is going to be a lot of goofing around. I think it's going to be a lot of joy experiencing the deepest of the, the greatest responses and, and, and feelings and senses, senses that we have, heaven's going to be exciting. When you read the descriptions of it, it's like, wow. Even Paul, when we went there, he goes, I can't even describe it for you. He, it's not because it's just going to be so solemn. It's going to be like walking into some formal church service. No, man, it's, it's going to be amazing. That's what God does for his people. And so that joy matters Misery doesn't help at all. If we are luxuriating, we will be thankful and we will be joyful. And I could give you a hundred verses to support those ideas. But another part of it is, if, you're, if you have joy, it leads to generosity. Because you realize, I am enjoying this so much, I want to share it with other people. It's a natural. Now, there are some people who are like super rich, objectively, who are like total cheapskates. They're just like, they're misers. They hoard everything. Some people who aren't that rich, it, again, I, one of my favorite TV shows is Hoarders because it reminds me to keep getting rid of stuff. But it's like they stack all this stuff up and it's like, I might need it someday. Really? I mean, somebody might be able to use it. I don't know. Um, sometimes I throw things away rather than give them away because I don't want it to just be somebody else's junk. If you've ever done, and I've done this in the case of both of my parents, um, to dig through their stuff after they die. And I'm like, I do not want to do that to my kids and grandkids. To have them going through my stuff going, why did he save that? I mean, he didn't care about it enough to use it. I remember with my mom, it was funny, I, I found like thousands of my old sermons, like on cassette tapes. And then she had a lot of CDs from here too. It's like, I don't know if she ever listened to any of them, but what was I supposed to do with those? They went right in the trash bin, which is where they should have been anyway. See, if we are truly enjoying life, we don't get bogged down with a whole bunch of stuff that we're attached to. We're willing to share with others. One of the greatest blessings is to be able to bless other people. Because when I choose to give to someone else, 
I am saying, I'm still going to be fine. I have enough. I'm so blessed by God that I can give this away and I will still be fine. If I'm greedy, if I'm hoarding, if I'm hanging on to things, I'm saying, I'm blessed, but not that much. And I'm afraid that in the end, I may not be blessed anymore. And so I become greedy and protective. Somebody who's comfortable with what they have is always comfortable sharing it with others. And that's all a part of luxuriating. There's no point in having luxury. And, and you know, we, I know that uh, there are times, uh, Jerry used to be a, Jerry Hill used to be an insurance guy. And he, I talked to him about those expensive houses on the beach or those houses on the hills in Laguna, what happens when there's a fire or you know, a, a wave that wipes out somebody's house? Does that crush those people? He goes, are you kidding? They're happy. They have insurance. They're going to get a new house in the same spot, but it'll be a lot better. They don't, but some of us as Christians live our lives as if we don't have the insurance of a God who's going to take care of us, and we think if we lost something, it would absolutely devastate us, and that's not what luxuriizing looks like. It's the idea of, you know what? <laughs> it's the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't want to lose it, but at the same time, I'm not going to live my life acting like my life would be over if this happened because that's like saying, I can never get it back. That is irreplaceable. Being somebody who delights in the Lord means I'm not stuck on something that I think is so important that it's going to affect my ability to not only enjoy it, but to share it as well. It's funny, I, this, uh, this week in the newspaper, I read that, that the Salt Creek Grill is closing down this month. And I'm like, oh man, I like that place. And so I, I thought, I have a gift certificate for there. I'm going to go down and eat at the Salt Creek Grill. And it's like, we should do that. But then I was going out to lunch with a friend of mine who was in town. And I go, you want to go to the Salt Creek Grill? Because he's staying down in Dana Point. And he goes, yeah, sure. And we drive up there, and they're closed. And I'm like, I have this gift card. Now, Kenny and Lindsay told me they're still open for another week or so, but but only at 4 o'clock, no reservations. You have to get there and do it. So I still may be able to use the gift card. But how many gift cards do I have that I've never used? That's a metaphor, in a way, for the blessings of God. If we have what he gives us and we don't use it, you may lose it, but it's like you lost it if you don't lose it. it you know, if you don't utilize it, if you, you could give it to somebody else. You could share it with somebody else. But hoarding is not luxuriating. Luxuriating is, we have this, let's actually use it. Let's actually spend it. Now, in, our, in, in the Christian culture, I think a lot of times, we've tried to make people feel guilty if they have something luxurious. And I remember Pastor Chuck, he, his favorite cars were Cadillacs. But he thought a Cadillac was a luxury car. So he would usually buy an Oldsmobile. Because it's kind of like a Cadillac, but with different you know, labels on it. But then uh, somebody died, and they had an old Cadillac. And Cadillac was like 10 years old. And Chuck goes, they donated it to the church. And man, I love the car. It has low miles. But I don't know. I feel bad driving a Cadillac. 
And I go, Chuck, a Cadillac hasn't been considered a luxury thing for 30 years. It's an old man's car. Drive the Cadillac. And he did. He drove it for the rest of his life. But that's the mentality sometimes that we have as if, oh, I can't do that. I, oh, what will people think? Will they judge me if I drive that car or wear that jewelry or those clothes or you know, involve myself in those activities? We always have to come up for excuses in doing something that gives us enjoyment. And you know, like we have to apologize for it. But it turns out God actually loves to bless us in a way that we have more than we need. And that's why we have more than we need. He wants us to enjoy it. He's given us things to enjoy. And if we end up... Now, the biggest insult to God, I think, is when we talk about God like he's broke. It's why I get so offended by... You know, these people that send me constant emails and text messages telling me that God is in big trouble and we need to bail him out. If we don't get this money this month, then the gospel can't go out. Or you, and some of these are ministries that have a billion dollars in assets and they're acting like, if you don't send me $20 this month, oh, it's all over. God doesn't beg from anybody. He's not poor. He's not broke. He's not in trouble. Sometimes he gives us things just so we can use them. Yes, so we can share them. There was a Native American culture in the Pacific Northwest. They used to have a tradition every year where they made a big bonfire and people would come and throw their stuff in the fire. Things, you know, a fur or you know, some food or whatever. And the reason they did it is that in their culture, the more stuff you threw in the fire, the greater status you took on, which is a weird way to look at it. But they figured something out that if I am willing to share what I have, or even if I'm willing to lose it, I'm showing that that doesn't own me, that I own it. And so... I think that's an interesting you know, perspective on it for sure. But when it comes to luxuriizing, a part of luxury has to do with just aesthetics. As people get more and they have more you know, discretionary income, quite often what they want to do is just buy things just for the looks. Though what makes one piece of jewelry more valuable than another? It probably has a certain unique look. I'm not a big jewelry person, but, you know, how about artwork? It's just a painting. You could feed a village for what you paid for that painting. But it's like, I like it. It's pretty. Now, again, I'm not an art collector, so disclaimer. But at the same time, do I judge people who are? I better not. Because if somebody appreciates beauty and then they surround themselves with it, you know what they remind me of? God. That's what he does. And that's what he's going to do for all of eternity. Are you going to walk around heaven and gripe about God being so wasteful? How could you take gold and make it the pavement of the streets? Come on, God. Show a little sensitivity to the poor people burning in hell. You know, No, it's like, <laughs> this is God. 
The world that he created is extravagantly, ridiculously wasteful. There are incredibly beautiful things that are out there in space somewhere that nobody has seen it but God and maybe angels and maybe some weird UFOs. I don't know. But I'm, I'm, I doubt that. But he just made it because it's, it's pretty. I mean, if that's what luxury kind of looks like, I appreciate aesthetics. So if we represent God as like we are just utilitarian, everything should look like a Marine Corps barracks. It should never be. And I mean, our church isn't fancy or anything, but we try to, we have plants around the outside. We try to make it look decent. Uh, But I don't judge churches that are fancier. I don't judge churches that are less fancy. I don't I try not to judge churches that have a bigger show or a lesser show. Everybody has to kind of figure out, okay, what works for us? What is it that really helps us to represent the God that we believe in? But we certainly have to make sure that extra luxury is a part of that process because that's what he is exhorting us to here in this passage. Um, so, oh, there's a, there are other aspects to this as well. Like somebody who has luxury is secure as they move you know, toward the future. They, they feel a confidence that, you know, if I lose this, I'm still going to be fine. I'm not always thinking that the world is going to end real soon. The kind of paranoia that sometimes Christians can get about, oh no, what's going to happen now? Oh, is this it? Is it all over? You know, oh, they're such wicked people. First of all, you don't, you don't understand history because there have been so many eras of history where things were way worse than anything that we see nowadays. But beyond that, like what's God's perspective toward evil flourishing in the world? Psalm 2. He says, you know, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set their stand against the Lord and against his anointed. Sound familiar? The whole world seems like it's against God and they hate God's people. So is God freaking out? The next verse. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. He will have them in derision. He thinks they are a joke. I know from when I would compete in martial arts, nothing was more intimidating than to look across the ring at a guy that you're about to fight, and he's got a big smile on his face. You're like, uh-oh. He knows something I don't know. That's God. He looks at what's happening in the world, and he's like, don't worry. I have other worlds. I will Someday I'll destroy it myself, and I'll remake it, and it's going to be even more amazing. It's like God's going... I have the best insurance in the universe. It's called me being God. So he doesn't freak out. So if we are his people and we are luxuriating as he tells us to, we certainly shouldn't look at the world and be, oh no, wringing our hands as if this is it. If this doesn't happen, it's all over. If they take my guns away, no, you, you can make guns, come on. But, you know, but it's like, What's our perspective? People who say, I serve a God who will take care of me no matter what, and I'm not afraid of whatever's going to happen in the future. 
Because the truth is, I have a God who luxuriates on me. I have a God who runs the universe. I know how this whole story ends. It's going to be fine. It's like when you watch old TV shows where, you know, the hero, every week it looks like they're going to get killed. But you know they're not because the show hasn't been canceled. (laughs) Nobody's canceled God's show. It's going to be fine. Nobody's canceled your show when you understand it. You can afford the luxury to roll with the punches and understand this thing is going to keep going. So luxuriate enough. Delight yourself in the Lord enough that you're like, okay, this is good. Ultimately, people who are in luxury know where their value lies. They know where their treasure is. Where Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I, I had a friend who, um, when, when we started a martial arts studio way back, the Thunder Center, and, and I had a friend who, George Yardley, he was a NBA former NBA player. He's in the NBA Hall of Fame. And he owned this building in Fountain Valley. And he said, hey, if you want to do an athletic complex there, he knew I was doing martial arts. He goes, why don't you just rent that building? I go, we, it's, it would make it the biggest martial arts studio in the country. How, how can we afford that? He goes, don't worry, it'll, it'll work out. Just give me a percentage of what you take in from people and it'll be fine. And it was always a struggle. I always felt bad as long as we, I mean, it ended up being amazing. The national judo team trained there. We had huge taekwondo and jujitsu and MMA and kempo and all these, all these different art forms that trained there. And it was really amazing for, for quite a while. But uh, every time I would go talk to George, I would go, I feel bad because we're, I mean, you're losing money on this. And I remember him telling me over and over again, he goes, Dave, one thing I've learned in life, I have several things that are more important to me than money. At the time, he wasn't even a Christian. He later became a Christian before he died and gave his Cadillac to Chuck. But (laughs) it was like, yeah, that's God's perspective. There are things I care about more than that stuff. People who are truly wealthy, wealthy enough to appreciate their wealth, they know what's worth what. And that's why they're not threatened, because they understand where true value lies. They understand that they are wealthy no matter what they lose. They're still wealthy because of what they still have and what they still know and what they've still experienced. So so the psalm goes on and says, Luxuriate yourself, delight yourself in Yahweh and the Lord, and he shall give you. This is something he's going to do. The desires of your heart, uh, the heart, the deepest, most intimate part of who you are. Now, sometimes we look at this and think, so then whatever we ask for, he's just going to give it to us? It doesn't specifically say that because there are some things that I might ask for that truth is, I really don't even want that. It'd be kind of scary if it's like, whatever I ask, I get it. Some of the things that I've asked for would have destroyed me. But he will give me the desires of my heart. He knows at the depth of my being who I am. 
and he will satisfy me with his will, his blessings, his goodness to a depth that I can't even comprehend. Now, sometimes there's something that I want and he gives it to me. Other times, as I grow to appreciate him, I, he ends up changing what I want. My, what I desire, the desires of my heart are different at this stage of my life than they were probably when I was younger. Because you learn, you grow, you expand. And so if you are luxuriating in him, now you don't become a slave to greed or to hanging on to, or oh, I just want this. When you realize how blessed you are, when you realize how rich you are, now God works in your heart. And it's like, okay, so you don't have to, you know, God, please help me to pay this bill. You get to see something deeper than that. You get to live on a level that's way extended beyond that. And now he actually gives you the desire itself. Tim Keller talked about prayer and he said, you know, when we pray, God answers the prayer as if we had asked for what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. Because my prayer requests are limited to what I know. God has more information. So he, and that's part of the Holy Spirit interceding in our prayers, I think, from Romans 8, is that he hears what I ask and he goes, I know what you ask for, but knowing what I know, I think what you really want is this. And he intercedes for that prayer. He gives me the desire more and more. What's the result of it? I'm like, I am so blessed. I am so incredibly blessed. I don't have everything I want, but I have so much more than I deserve. I have everything that I need to take my next breath, even if it's on a machine. But in the end, I look at my life and you have the blessing of getting to a point in your life where you go, and I, I absolutely feel this way. I've been so blessed in my life. I'm not rich, but I'm so blessed in my life that if I died before third service, I'm not, that's not a prophecy. <laughs> it's not even the desire of my heart necessarily. But if, if, if I did, I would go, you know what? I didn't miss a thing. God has been so good to me. I have been playing with house money for decades that he's blessed me so much that all of this, it's all just frosting on the cake. It's all just blessings upon blessings. And I'm so grateful for everything that he has done for me. So if I croak before third service, it'll teach those people to be lazy and come to third service. It's like, should have come to second. You would have heard my last message right before I died. And it would be this. <laughs> Luxuriate in him. And what happens is your perspective, your values, your appreciation for him and for life brings you to the point where you're like, all of a sudden I am wanting what he is giving me and I am realizing how fortunate I am. I'm realizing how blessed I am. I'm realizing that a lot of things that I thought were a big deal aren't. And you know what? If he gives me more than I need, and he has for all of us, I'm going to enjoy it a little bit. I'm not going to be the guy that just stacks up 
gift certificates, and, and like I've been most of my life, and like, I'll get to it. It's just sitting there. That's potential blessings that we look away from. And that's foolish. He wants us to experience his blessing. He really, that's something that's important to him because when we do that, he begins to work and, and we represent him well. People can look at us and go, that's somebody that really knows how to enjoy life. That's somebody who's really doing something right. And again, maybe we inspire somebody else to trust their life to the Lord because they think it's worked well for us. There are a lot of people who go, you know, it's good for you because they understand there's a difference. But in the end, as we represent him well, and people go, okay, you're doing this right. And that's the first step toward aligning your life with him. If you've never made that decision, today would be a good time to do it, to just say, okay, I want to have those blessings from God. Don't follow him so you'll get more stuff. That stuff could destroy you if your heart isn't in the right place. But if your heart's in the right place, he wants to bless you. Stop feeling guilty because you have luxury. Stop feeling guilty because you're blessed, because you live in America, because you're one of the Americans that can still live in California without running off to the middle of nowhere and destroying your life. No, you're still here. You're blessed. It's amazing. You can drive 15 minutes and get to the beach and walk on the sand. Yeah, do you do that? How much time do you actually spend on the sand, for instance, or in the mountains, or on a lonely road, or, you know, it's like, it's all there, but if we just get busy, we forget how fortunate we are, and we miss those opportunities. Grab those opportunities, and you have a God who loves you, who wants, with all of his being, who wants to bless you, who wants you to be able to luxuriate in how good he is to you. So why not look for what he has done? Why not align your life with him? And so today, if that's you, maybe it's time for you to decide, quit trying to be a self-made person. Why don't you just try to be somebody that God blesses? And your job, to enjoy him forever, to luxuriate in him. Do that. It's amazing how much what you want becomes what he wants too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this amazing verse. And we're sorry for whining and complaining and acting like we're impoverished. But we're so blessed. The fault is not with you. It's with us. So Lord, teach us to delight ourselves in you and to honor what you have done for us as a result. We're sorry for acting like we're in trouble. We're sorry for acting like, oh, our world is terrible. Our world is amazing. There's beauty everywhere. Help us to see the beauty, to experience it, to take the time to enjoy it. If part of our job is not just to trust you, it's not just to 
commit our ways to you is not just to rest in you, but it's also to delight in you. May we learn how to do that. I think it's sometimes one of the last lessons we ever learn as Christians. So teach us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.